so good to celebrate God together and to be here. Um, just a great, great morning. I'm loving it. And uh, we're now going to look at really the reason why we've done all of this. We're not just like, wouldn't it be nice to kind of sing some different songs? Wouldn't it be nice to kind of talk about all these different people? No, everything that we do here at the church is because of what we read in God's Word. And this morning was no exception to that. And I want to explain to you why that's so important to us, why it's so essential uh, for church life. And uh, so we're going to be looking at uh, something that Jesus taught us uh, that explains this. Uh, It comes at the end of uh, what's known as the Sermon on the Mount by Jesus. He's been teaching people all sorts of things. And after showing, him, after showing them what the kingdom of God is like, uh, he then finishes off with this story. It's a parable. It's, a, it's, it's an imaginative story that's meant to grab your attention. And it's in Matthew chapter 7, uh, verses 24 uh, to 29. So let's, let's read it. He says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell. And the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowd were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. This is God's word. And uh, what I want us to do in the time we've got this morning is to look quickly at what's going on uh, with this parable, uh, what Jesus means by it, and then we're going to look at how that shapes what kind of church we are. So why don't we pray uh, that God would just give us his grace uh, to hear him speak uh, right now. Lord, we have, uh, many of us have had great fun already praising you. Many of our heartbeats are still kind of uh, faster than they would normally be at this point of time uh, because we've just been loving praising you. Um, and Lord, now for all of us, please, we pray. Uh, we've, we've, we've met with you this morning already, many of us, but we all want to be filled with your Holy Spirit. We all want to meet with you. We want to hear you speak. Lord, we have loved singing to you. Now, please, oh God, speak to us through your word. Give us ears to hear what you're saying. Amen. Amen. So in this parable, we're clearly being offered a choice. It's like an adventure movie and someone's trying to escape and there are two doors and one is the way out and one is a trap. And you're like, which way do we go? Only in this case, there's someone with us and they know the way out and they're telling us which door to go through. Jesus is lovingly showing us that there is a way that leads to life and there's another that doesn't. There's a way that is sure and steadfast, that is rock solid, can be trusted at all times. And there's a way which cannot be trusted. And all of us are looking to build our lives on things that can be trusted. We would hate if if everything just fell away in a moment. that, That frightens us. We try to put security into our lives however we can. And Jesus is saying there's one way in which you can do that. And there are many other ways which will fail you. And so we usually listen to this parable and we think, right, I need to do the right things. And then even when bad things happen, the storms of life, I'll hold on somehow. God will hold on to me somehow. And and that's okay. But there's more going on to this parable than that. Because parables aren't meant to make you just think, oh, yes, I should do that. They're also meant to kind of catch you out. 
And there's a sting in the tail often. And I think Jesus' first listeners would have heard some things in this parable which would have surprised them and shocked them. And so I want us to look at them uh, so that we're not just being like, oh, we should do good things. That's what God wants us to do. But we need to know what God is doing on the earth right now. And I think this parable tells us this. We start by understanding this when we read through the whole of the Sermon of the Mount, which we aren't going to do uh, right now. Uh, But people often say, yeah, the Sermon on the Mount is full of good advice. It's full of how you should live. And it it is full of how you should live, but it isn't isn't a collection of suggestions. It isn't um, life hacks. It isn't five tips or however many there are in there for a successful life. That's not what Jesus is doing. Jesus is announcing something. Jesus is declaring that the kingdom of God has arrived and this is what it looks like. Jesus says, here's how the kingdom of God works. Here's who's in and here's who's out. Here's how those who are in should live. Here's what it's to look like. And very little of this is what his listeners would have expected. They were Jews and they knew that God had chosen their nation to bless the whole world. And they had the temple, and the temple was the dwelling place of God. It's this mighty structure, and in the heart of it, the place called the Holy of Holies, and it's where God dwelt on earth. It was the meeting point between heaven and earth. This surely was God's kingdom. And yet, the nation was under Roman rule. And so they they weren't being led by God, they were being led by the Romans. And actually, they weren't even just being led by the Romans, they were being led by themselves, their own desires and their wishes. The temple was compromised by corruption and hypocrisy. And what often happens at moments like that is that people come along and say, you see, this, 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 and this isn't right, and I will change it, and we 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 can make this better. And Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus says, I'm doing something entirely new. He doesn't have a suggestion for how this can change. He tells them that God is doing a new thing. And he talks about building a house on a rock. And when you think building a house on a rock, you think about your life. You think the decisions you make and the choices you make and those kind of things. And and that's legitimate. But the house, when Jews heard the phrase the house, they didn't think of their own home. They thought of the temple because the temple was known as the house. And it actually had a foundation stone of rock. And so by using this language of a house being built on a rock, Jesus is saying that a new temple is being built. And it isn't being built on the same foundation as before. Jesus is saying that this temple is being built on him. You can't separate Jesus and his words because everything he said he did and everything he does ties up with what he says. It's not like us when we're like, oh, don't do what I, don't do what I say, do what, do what I say, don't do what I do, or that kind of stuff. There's some separation for us between us and our words, isn't there? Uh, There isn't with Jesus. Everything he says, he is. And so to build our life on Jesus is to build our life on his word. And so that's what he's saying when he talks about the house. And as for the storm, again, we think, well, we we talk about the storms of life, don't we? We go through these things and that's, that's fair enough. But storms in the Bible are often a sign of God's judgment. They are the revelation of what's really going on because things can look fine when the weather's lovely, but when storms come, we see what the situation really is. Storms can also be associated with punishment, which can come with judgment. The flood which Noah lived through is the most famous example of this in the Bible. It makes it clear, doesn't it? It's like this is God's judgment coming. There are plenty of others. Now, Jesus, because he was God, knows all things. He knew that there was a storm of judgment coming to Jerusalem just a few decades from when he was speaking that the temple would be destroyed by the Romans. 
But he's actually looking even further ahead to the final storm. Just before this passage that we read, he talks about that day. And that's what's in his mind at this point. That day is the day of the Lord. It is judgment day. It is the end of the age when all people who have ever lived, wherever they're from and whatever they're like, will be brought before God to be judged for how they've lived, for what they've done with what he has given them. That is the storm that Jesus has in mind. And so he's saying that those who don't accept this new thing that God is doing through Jesus are building on the wrong foundation. And if they don't repent and start following him, then all they have built will be destroyed in the coming judgment. All of this can be found in the Old Testament. If you want to understand how Jesus thinks, you want to read the Old Testament, because that's where it all comes from. Ezekiel 13 rebukes people. They were pretending to be prophets and they were telling people, yes, what you're doing is really good, even though it really wasn't. And Ezekiel 13 says this, says, precisely because they've misled my people, saying peace when there is no peace. And because when the people build a wall, these prophets smear it with whitewash. They're like, yeah, it's all good. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will make a stormy wind break out in my wrath. And there shall be a deluge of rain in my anger and great hailstones in wrath to make a full end. And I will break down the wall that you have smeared with whitewash and bring it down to the ground so that its foundation will be laid bare. When it falls, you shall perish in the midst of it and you shall know that I am the Lord. That sounds really familiar, doesn't it? Well, let's add some more to it. Jeremiah, which a passage actually that Jesus quotes, Jeremiah 7, has this house which is called by this house, which is called by my name. Talking about the temple. Become a den of robbers in your eyes. Because I myself have seen it, declares the Lord God. Go now to my place that was in Shiloh, where I made my name dwell at first, and see what I did to it because of the evil of my people. This is where God's people used to gather for worship, and it was destroyed. And now, because you've done all these things, declares the Lord. And when I spoke to you persistently, you did not listen. And when I called you, you did not answer. Therefore, I will do to the house that is called by my name and in which you trust and to the place that I gave you and to your fathers as I did to Shiloh. And I will cast you out of my sight as I cast out your kinsmen, all the offspring of Ephraim. Again, it's the same thing. Jesus knows this and he's using this language. Is there any hope? Is it just destruction? Yes, there's hope. Isaiah 28. Again, there's criticism of the people. They were, trying to build a, 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 they were trying to build their life based on trusting in themselves and in other people. And God says, that won't do it. And it says, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. And I will make justice the line and righteousness the plumb line. And hail will will sweep away the refuge of lies and waters will overwhelm the shelter. So there we see it three times. God talks about destruction through storms. And he also says that he's building a new thing with a new stone, a new foundation. And Peter, who's one of the early church leaders, who was there when Jesus preached this message, brings it all together in 1 Peter chapter 2. He tells us that God is doing a new thing through the church. That Jesus is that precious cornerstone and he's building a new temple. And it's not like the temple that came before it. 1 Peter 2, 4-6. As you come to him, that's Jesus, a living stone rejected by men. 
But in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. House, priest, sacrifices, this is all temple language. For it stands in scripture, he quotes Isaiah, Behold, I'm lying in, laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Once the dwelling place of God on earth was a building in Jerusalem built on a foundation of limestone. But now the dwelling place of God is the church. It is the gatherings all over the world of those who have put their trust in Jesus and who have been filled with his Holy Spirit and which is built on the foundation of Christ the rock. That is what Jesus announces at the Sermon on the Mount and that is what he has been doing ever since then and continues to do today. And so this parable is about making a choice. But the stakes are higher than we thought. It isn't about life going well and us surviving through tough times. It is about life and death. It is about getting in line with God's purposes in Christ and being secure in him forever. And this is why we are committed as a church to building everything we do on Christ, on the word of God. The entire Bible is from him and about him. These words... They are his words. Believing and following is the only way that we can please God. Jesus told us if we love him, we'll obey his commandments. John 14. It's the only way to represent God to Edinburgh and to the rest of the world. Because it is in his word that he has shown us who he is. And so, how do we do this? Well, quite obviously, we need to be a people who know and obey God's word. That's what he said. He said, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them. So we need to be that individually. We need to be that as a church. Maybe this is all new to you. You're like, I don't know. Even, I don't even know where to start with the Bible. Well, we'd love to help you with that. I'd suggest the best place to start is doing a four-week course that we run called Paths of Disciples. And it's basically about understand, helping you to understand and live the Christian life. And the whole structure is based on finding answers in the Bible. Uh, it's free, uh, we meet at your convenience and uh, if you don't have a Bible, we'll give you a free Bible to help you with that as well. And you can go to the Connect desk at the end of our meeting today and say, I'd like to know more about that and someone will get you in contact with you and we'll make that happen. Uh, for all of us, we've created a daily Bible reading plan. Uh, it's called Reading God's Word Together uh, and it kind of lasts through the year, but you can jump in any point you want. In fact, this Tuesday is a great point. If you've lost, got lost or haven't started yet, this Tuesday, the New Testament readings are the start of the book of Acts. So it's a great moment to start and get inspired and excited. But it is an adventure every day. Some of you will have read this morning's psalm. I read it, Psalm 18. Do you know what it's all about? It's about God being a rock. <laughs> Isn't that great? I was so encouraged. I had no idea that. Was, and then I read it. And so this morning, God spoke to me and gave me fresh faith. And this can happen all, all the time for us. It happens in different ways. It's not every day is a remarkable coincidence of reading of what's going on. But sometimes it is. And every day we are getting God's word into us and it's shaping us and changing us. And then every Sunday we preach from God's word. And uh, we do that every week. And as we gather at other times, we teaching and training and learning and other things. We, we, just, we do all of it based on what God has said. 
And so you'd be like, great, good job. Nice, finished early. Well, kind of. He obviously hasn't finished early. He never finishes early. <laughs> but the thing is, it's, it's all right saying, yes, we're a people. We believe this is God's word. We're going to build our lives on God's word. Yes, of course. But actually, Jesus talks all the way through the Sermon on the Mount that how we do this is vital. We can't assume that we're getting it right. And so I've just got three words to help us with this word. They will help us to truly read and obey, to build our lives on the rock. The first word is humility. If you've ever read the Bible, you will have read things that make you think, oh, really? Is that really in there? Is that really true? Is that really what God's like? Is that really what I must do? Have I really got to stop doing this? If you've never come across that reading the Bible, you are doing it wrong. Because it is perfect and you are not. And so you are going to experience some tension. What do we do at that point? What do we do when that happens? Well, God promises that he gives attention to those who tremble at his word. Isaiah 66. We don't sit in judgment on this book. We don't say, well, I agree with this bit. Don't like that bit. This bit's fine. Not sure about that. We can't do that. Because it's God's word. He has spoken it to us. So we don't sit in judgment on it, it judges us. We mustn't let personal preference or peer pressure shape us, shape our thinking when we read things that challenge us, when we things that trouble us. It's disconcerting, isn't it? You're like, oh no, am I in disagreement with God? I'm sure I shouldn't be. If only there was a way in which I could resolve this difficulty without having to change my life. That's what most of us want to do at that point, isn't it? Because it's like, we're used to living this way. It'd be hard to change. I don't necessarily want to change. If only these two things could be fixed and brought into harmony. Well, they probably can't. Now, there are plenty of people who don't want to change their lives. And so they change what the Bible says and what the Bible means. But the Bible is not an echo chamber. It is a sword that cuts to our very hearts exposing who we really are and our deepest fears and actions and motives. And it is a rock that we cannot reshape. This means we will spend our whole lives having to adjust ourselves to it. Because there will be more and more for us to find and discover and learn about. And more and more we realize that God is wanting us to understand about him and change how we live. Of course, we wrestle with difficulties. We don't just go like, well, that's the Bible. I have to believe it because the preacher guy said it. No, we, we, we wrestle, we explore, we talk honestly, we get trustworthy help. We want to make sure that we're hearing it properly, understanding it properly. But we start and finish with the conviction that God is speaking to us, that it is God's word. And in the small group notes, there are some recommended books to help you with that. If you're really wrestling with that, you want to explore it some more. So we've got to read the word and obey it with humility. And we've got to read it with wisdom. So building our lives and our church on God's word means being constrained by it. It said this, so we've got to obey it. But it also, there is a releasing in this as well, because the Bible doesn't tell us how to, everything that we're to do. You will have faced decisions that you won't find a clear answer to in the Bible where you should live, what job you should do, who to vote for, what brand of clothing or phone or ketchup to buy, or, you know, all these choices. You're like, well, it doesn't say. And as a church, 
There are leaders all across this church in all the different areas who are making decisions on what to do with what God's called us to do without necessarily God having explained exactly how to do this thing. Wisdom is knowing what God wants without him having to spell it out. It is improvising based on the script that we've been given. It is turning the timeless principles into timely practices. It isn't just pragmatism. Because pragmatism is like, well, we just need to get this done. Wisdom is like, well, God's the Lord. I want to please him. And I'm going to keep my foundation on what he said, not what works. We grow in wisdom by learning more and more about this story. We grow in wisdom by staying open to learning. Uh, you know, I don't know how long you've been a Christian. You might have been a Christian for decades. But God's word is deeper and God's truth is more profound than you are able to comprehend. And we're still working these things out. God uses many means to teach us this. I think it's just really interesting how God uses, uses common grace. Just the things that happen around in the world help us to understand ourselves and his, and his word better. The fact that it's now possible for people to travel all over the world to move jobs and those kind of things means that we know much more about what it's like to be a diverse church than perhaps the church 500 years ago did. Um, even challenges that come. The last kind of couple of hundred years in the West, certainly the last 70 years or so, massive challenges against the authority of the Bible, the trustworthiness of the Bible. And that's meant Christians have had to think about those things and they've gone back to God's word and they've used the humanities and the sciences and stuff and they've come up with really good answers so that we can be more confident in the Bible than we were before. So wisdom's not scared. Wisdom says, let's find this out. Wisdom means listening to others. We've celebrated the diversity of God's church today. But we still here in Edinburgh are in a situation where kind of Western and male Christianity dominates thinking and learning. But those are minorities in the global church. More women in the church than men around the world. There are more non-white people in the church than there are white people in the church around the, around the world. And so God is now raising up voices and thinkers and example from all, examples from all over the world. And wisdom comes when all of us learn from each other in that. Uh, from all those who love God's word. You, you won't become a Western white man. You shouldn't, unless you already are, by reading the word. You become a Christian. And that means you need to listen to voices from diverse backgrounds. Uh, in order to do that. Wisdom also recognises finally that not everything will become clear. There are some things like, I don't know. So I have preferences about Brexit. I have preferences about Scottish independence. I hope those things are informed by God's word. But I cannot say what God thinks about them because he hasn't told us. He's allowed one of those to happen. He hasn't allowed the other to happen just yet. But even when he allows things to happen, that doesn't mean he approves of them. And so I think wisdom, in this case, looks like being cautious in suggesting what's the right choice or the wrong choice. And clear that we are called to love our neighbours, whoever they are and however they voted. And that we must become a community that is diverse and loving and welcoming. That's where wisdom is clear and also where wisdom says, yeah, I don't know about that bit. And then once in a while we just coincidentally... Organise a nation's day like the Sunday after the, he, the UK's left the EU. It's a total coincidence. I was worshipping this morning. I was like, oh yeah, those two things. <laughs> so there you go. Who knows? But wisdom, do you see that? It's, it's not like it, it, we're dogmatic where the Bible's dogmatic. 
We're flexible where the Bible's flexible. Uh, we are cautious where the Bible isn't clear. Thirdly and finally, we need to be people who read this word and do it by faith. We believe it and we act upon it. This is the life of faith. This is what Jesus called us to do. It's the moment of obedience which Jesus said was essential if we're to be built on him. When we obey what God has said, it may seem crazy to those around us, even some Christians. But if God has said it, we must do it. And so we pray for people to be healed because God's a healer. He's told us in his word. We love everyone, at least we try to, because God has loved us and he's told us to love everyone. We plant churches because we don't believe that it's, it's coming to an end. We believe that God is doing a great work and he's always wanting to bring new people in. So we need to plant churches. We do new things because God's calling us to do new things. We pray. Like we've prayed in this past week and maybe you're one of those people who are in the prayer room you're like, wow, all these promises from God, they are still true. We can call on him. We can believe him and we can see them answered. Maybe you were there on Friday night. We had such a great time of just calling on him in all sorts of different ways because we believe that he hears and he speaks. We give our time and our money and our abilities to eternal things. We take stands on things that seem ridiculous or out of date to others, but matter enormously to God. We have a whole way of of thinking and acting shaped by him and what he said to us. Jesus and his word are called a rock of offense. They're called a stumbling block, even to Christians, but especially to those who are not. Many of us wince at the prospect, don't we, of someone saying, oh, so you're a Christian. So do you think the Bible's true? Like, I wish they wouldn't ask that question. Maybe I'd, I'll say something about love. And, you know, the path of least resistance, that's what we want at that point, isn't it? We want to stay as controversy-free as possible. But our culture is built on shifting sands. It, is, it cannot be trusted. You can't get a secure footing. Isn't it interesting how quickly someone can go from being an absolute hero in the world's eyes to being a, complete, a villain, evil even. It happens, can be a slip of a tongue at the moment. It's just fascinating to see how that happens. And suddenly they've gone from hero to worse than zero. It's shifting sands. God's word is timeless and unchanging because God is the same yesterday, today and forever. This rock has endured many storms and still stands. I mean, it has sharp edges. It does. But it is the place of safety and our confidence must rest on it alone. By faith, we stake our entire lives on him. We're not going to keep some rival gods happy as well. We're not going to hedge our bets. Like, well, I just, yeah, but money is important. You know, don't want to act in faith so much that I have enough money or popularity, you know, or just acceptance. That's important. I don't, don't want to make my life so solidly on God's word that no one likes me. Success, that's important to succeed, but that uh, means fudging these principles. No, that's worshiping another God. We need to put our lives wholly, wholly on Him. Storms will come now. And on the final day. But at Kings, we believe this house will not fall so long as it is being built on the rock that is Christ. I'm going to finish in just a moment. This picture of a house on a rock just made me think of Edinburgh Castle. Mighty, immovable, impregnable. It's 
And when we think of a castle like this, we think of a mighty house. Actually, when we think of the temple in Jerusalem as it was, enemies can't come in. That's the whole point of a castle, isn't it? It's like, we are here, you can't come in. But God's house always has open doors. Jesus came from the inside and pushed the doors open to invite people in. However it was and whenever it was, if you're a Christian, that you were invited in, that is how you got there. Because Jesus made a way and welcomed you in. And now we as a church are called to continue in that way, to say, come in, come in. You are welcome here. And maybe today is that day for you. Maybe today is the day where you step in. You've seen something this morning you never expected church to look like this. And God has been speaking to you. And he's saying, you can come in now. Put your life on me. Jesus says, give me your whole life and I'll give you mine. We'd love to invite you in. We'd love to welcome you. Why don't we pray together as we end? I just want to pray for you if that's you. I want to say there's an opportunity for you to respond. An opportunity for you to give your life to Jesus right now. To say to him, I've been trying to build my own way. And it's a disaster. And I want to stop it right now. And I'm sorry. You can say that in your heart to Jesus right now. And then you can say to him, I want to build my life on you. In fact, I want you to shape my life. I want you to be the rock on which I put everything, my whole life, everything. Jesus, please be that rock for me. You can ask him to do that right now and he will do it. If that's you, I'd love to speak to you afterwards. You can go to the Connect desk and say, I've responded, I want to know more. And for those of us who are Christians, maybe, maybe you need to read God's word and act upon it with more humility. Maybe you just keep reading it, finding the bits you disagree with. Maybe you just, you're just still not doing that thing and God said it really plainly in his word and you're still not doing it. You need to humble yourself right now. You need to tremble at God's word. You tell him right now you're sorry for what you've done. You want to be shaped by him. Build your life on him alone. Maybe you just feel like, I need more wisdom. I I need more, I, I need help. And I need to understand how to apply this word in my life. The Bible says if we ask for wisdom, he'll give it to us. So you can ask him right now. Lord, I do pray for those who need wisdom. Give it to them through the Holy Spirit and through all these wonderful resources you've created for us. And Lord, I pray for all of us that we would be those who hear and obey in faith, in faith, believing you, trusting you, hoping in you, acting, whatever it means, acting according to what you've said, obeying you. God, give us gifts of faith, even right now, Give us confidence in you and confidence in your word, in secret choices and in public moments. Make us people of faith and God, make us a church that is humble, that is wise and that is full of faith that continues to believe you. And we thank you for such a wonderful day together. We praise your name for it. We thank you. It's all found in your word, in your son. We love him and we praise his name.
Amen.